We are in week four of this little series that I'm calling Foundations. And whether you're buying a house or building a house, building a business or an organization or a relationship or a marriage or a church, I think we all agree the integrity of the foundation is critical. How the work begins, those first people on the job site, those first blocks set up a solid footing, and it can make or break the longevity and the integrity of everything else that is built from there. And so it is with our faith. I remember uh, a Sunday school song growing up, and, and it kind of went something like, um, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, the rains came up, no, the rains came down, and the floods came up, and then what's the next line? Yeah, there it is. See, I even had that wrong. I'm glad I asked. The house on the rock stood strong. Yeah. And, and yet, and so, and the walls came tumbling down when, when uh, the floods came up on the house in the sand. So we started a few weeks ago by answering the question, is the Bible true? And as for the Grove Church, we believe that it is. Um, all of it. Like, it's good for, for instruction and reproof and encouragement. We believe that it is God breathed because otherwise like what, what are we doing here right in week two we kind of put our picture of god through the filter of the truth of scripture and we discovered that god is holy that he is set apart that he is he is different than us yet he loves us enough to send his son as atonement for our sin so that we can stand in right relationship with him and all we need to do is, is confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. And we even gave you an opportunity to make that decision at the end of, of week two. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our time together today. And then last week, wow, um, we talked about baptism. And, uh, and after service, we went to Pete and Christie's house and uh, several of, of you guys got baptized. And I am, I am so proud of you guys. It was, it was awesome. And then during the week, several more reached out, and they said that they too would like to be baptized. Um, and so after service today, we're going to head over to Pete and Christie's house again, if the weather is okay. And we have a few that would like to be baptized. And that, again, is the outward expression of the personal decision to follow Jesus. And we would have the, we'd just love to have everybody join us over there. And if you've never been baptized and you're a Christian, uh, we want to encourage you to run home, grab your swimsuit and a towel after the service and meet us out there. Um, and if you've missed any of those three messages, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to them on the podcast as we really believe that these are just kind of foundational. These are the building blocks as to where we're headed as a church. We're just all getting on the same page. So today we're going to begin by looking at the second chapter of Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 verse 1, says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, you, you have to know this, that the Pentecost means a little bit something different for us today. But back then, it was just a Jewish feast that happened 50 days after Passover. So they're all together, not for this moment, but they're, they're there to eat and, and to celebrate this, this Jewish feast. 
So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now, you got to remember, people from all other regions are there observing this, and people with you know, other languages are hearing their own language. I mean, it's crazy. And they think the disciples are drunk. And Peter's like, no, we're not. It's 9 a.m. We're not drunk yet. He, he didn't say yet, but he's like, we're not drunk. And then Peter preaches like the best message of his life, of his career. And then after that, drop down, verse 36, says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured. This is Peter talking. Therefore, let, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit spirit and that leads us to this question what is this holy spirit what does it do specifically and especially in light of the fact that peter calls it a gift today we're going to try to answer those questions and then i want to give you a takeaway that you can apply today that i think will put us in position to experience the holy spirit does that sound good okay pretty simple so father jesus holy spirit Open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts right now. Reveal your glory through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing for today's talk, I began to feel pretty inadequate about um, sharing with you today. I actually scrolled through my phone, uh, through my contacts, looking for a pastor friend that I could consider more of an expert on the Holy Spirit in hopes that I'd be able to sit out there with you and take notes. Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit, it, it can seem a little hocus-pocus, right? We understand God the Father and God the Son. We can wrap our minds around Jesus a little bit. But the Holy Spirit just feels a little magical, um, you know, a little, a little too spooky. Even, even the King James Version calls, calls it the Holy Ghost. Or maybe you've had an experience with someone that embraced the Holy Spirit and, and it was just kind of weird, right? I was texting uh, someone this morning and I told them that I was talking about the Holy Spirit and my phone actually auto-corrected to the hokey spirit. And, and that can easily become our sentiment. I mean, some, somehow the Holy Spirit is kind of hokey. But if we agree that this book is true, right? then we are faced with the reality that the Holy Spirit is a major part of the ministry of the church in the New Testament. And, and it should be today. So first let me say, the Holy Spirit is not it. It's not an it. Um, sometimes people will say, well, it's leading me to do something. 
But Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as him. It is the third person of God. It is very literally God in spirit form. God has three different forms. There's God the Father, or just God for short. Uh, and then there's Jesus, God's Son. And there's the Holy Spirit. And mysteriously, all three are different, but they're all 100% God. Each one uniquely expresses God's nature to us, but none is greater than another. In Christianity, this, this three-in-one concept is formally known as what? The Trinity. Yep, good. And that word isn't in our Bible, but theologians and scholars have helped us kind of identify this unique attribute of God with that word. It's called the Trinity. So when you read about the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you find that you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, as God in spirit form, has emotions. The Bible says the Holy Spirit loves you. And, and Jesus is going to say, look at John 16, 7. He says, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine, like, being with Jesus for three years and just seeing everything that you saw? And then he comes and he says, it is good for me to leave because if I leave, someone else, it, you would just have to be thinking, are you serious? Like, no way. Like, I don't want to lose that. I'm going to go away and send the Spirit to be with you and then he calls him an advocate, which comes from the Greek word parakletos. Okay, I'm not going to, we, we did a little Greek last week. I'm not going to bore you with that. I'm just going to talk about it a little bit, though. Do a little, do a little history channel on you. So parakletos, or the root word, is the word paraclete. It comes from two words. Para, which means alongside of, like a paralegal to come alongside, or a parachurch. Um, not a church, but to come alongside the church. And kletos comes from the Greek word kaleo, which means called. So very literally, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is called alongside of, or to be inside of, the believer in Jesus. So who is the paraclete? Who is the parakletos? Very literally, this word can be translated as an intercessor. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the one who intercedes or prays for you. The Holy Spirit is your advocate before God. God in spirit form, who is called alongside of you or inside of you to be your intercessor, to be your helper, very literally to be your friend. And he's everywhere. I mean, he's here right now. It's, it's kind of weird, right? Whether invited or not, he is everywhere. I read this um, this week. Someone wrote, The air around you is filled with the invisible noise of God's voice. The invisible noise of God's voice. And like a radio tuning into its frequency, you were built to hear God's voice, to be able to tune in to him. When you read your Bible, it can kind of seem like, you know, Jesus first came on the scene as a baby 2,000 years ago, and then out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit appears in the book of Acts. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have been hanging out together for as far back as you can imagine. They, in Genesis, when God created everything, it was actually Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the very 
first chapter of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And they worked together. It was the first community. It was the first small group. While Jesus was on earth, he was only obeying his Father. He didn't do anything on his own, but only what he saw his Father do. And when his curious disciples asked, hey, can you show us, show us the Father? Here's what he said. He said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Basically, Jesus was telling them that he was God in physical form. God the Father has no physical form, but Jesus is God with skin on, right? Through Jesus, the love of God became something tangible that we could see and feel. But as Jesus' time on earth was nearing an end, he made this promise. He told his followers it would be best for them if he went back to heaven because then God would send them the Holy Spirit. So in the same way that Jesus became the body of God in a tangible way, the Holy Spirit revealed himself as the mind of God living inside of us. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The mind of God inside of us. So, why are so many of us running around like we've lost our minds? You ever wonder that? Why is it that so many people today are living a Holy Spiritless life? Well, one reason is some people aren't even aware of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through, C, uh, 1 through 3, it's an interesting story uh, that relates. It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now these were believers in Jesus, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So obviously these people had not been at, at Pentecost when the Spirit came. They were baptized by John the Baptist, if you read on. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they answered, no. We, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. <laughs> we heard about Jesus. We knew, we knew John the Baptist, but who is the Holy Spirit? We don't know anything about him. And there are many of us who would be in a very similar situation. We've heard about him, but that's about it. Like, who is the Holy Spirit? I don't understand anything about him. And there is a whole other world of power that is available to believers through God, the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us just don't even know about it. My dad taught me how to mow the yard when I was either eight or nine, I believe. We lived at 1039 Bateman Street in Galesburg. And, uh, you know, it was just an old red lawnmower. And uh, so took a lot of pride in, in mowing the grass. Um, and then eventually the neighbor, who, who was, a, it was actually the owner of the neighbor's property, he was the landlord, he said, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you mow this yard too. And so I started mowing, mowing that yard. And, uh, and then he said, I'll pay you two extra bucks every time if you mow this patch in the back. And it was like the old gravel driveway where the weeds had grown up. And I'm telling you, it wasn't worth the two bucks. Like, it, it was just, you, I made sure I had blue jeans on, I'd go in there, and you know, I would just get pelted with rocks. I mean, it was, it was grueling. But I'll, I'll never forget, so I'm, I, I love to mow grass and mowed grass, and so when my wife and I bought our first house at um, 1123 Beach, Beecher Avenue, um, I bought a new lawnmower. And I remember this one was green, and it was self-propelled, and it was awesome. And I was so proud of that thing. And so I'm mowing, and I mowed it a diagonal to try to impress my neighbors. And um, I had a whole theory about why that was good for the grass. 
And, and uh, I'm about halfway through mowing this yard, and I realize, like, how hard this is. Like, this, this thing is heavy, man. These new mowers are heavy. And then I realized, like, I wasn't even, like, pulling the lever for self-propelled. So I'm pushing this thing, and I, at my disposal was this little lever that you pull, and it makes the wheels turn, and changed everything. But the Holy Spirit can be like that for the Christ follower that just doesn't know the power that is available to him or her. But here's what far too many people do, and I'm guilty of this. The Holy Spirit leads me to do something, and, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Or the Holy Spirit will, will lead me not to do something, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah but I really, want to, I really want to do that. And we resist the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit and our heart can become hardened? It's a little bit like my wife, Jenna. I mean, she's always, she's always trying to hold my hand. She's always trying to kiss me, like, all the time. Like, I'm, I'm cutting vegetables in the kitchen, you know, just trying to get dinner ready. She slaps my butt. She's just always, she's always pursuing me. And eventually I wear down and I give in to her, you know, because I, I want to minister to her needs and it's something I do because I'm a good husband. Okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. But imagine, if you would, that she's always doing that, and I always resisted her. After a while, she's not going to pursue me anymore. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not push himself on you. If you resist him long enough, your heart might grow so calloused that you don't recognize the promptings of the Spirit of God. Why are so many people today living a Holy Spiritless life? Some are not aware, and some of us are just really good at resisting the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. The Holy Spirit is called a comforter, and he will comfort you when you're hurting. Here's what Scripture says in John chapter 14, and this is the King James Version. It translates parakletos this way. And Jesus, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing to me is, and there's some of us even here now, even here at this little gathering, and you're going through something really difficult right now. And I can promise you that many of you at this moment, you will sense, because he's here, you will sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Even though you're hurting, you can sense his comfort, he can comfort you with the peace that goes beyond all human understanding. It is the comforting presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Another thing is the Holy Spirit can also counsel us. He is our counselor. He's our guide. When we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit can direct you. Scripture says it this way in John 16, verse 13. Jesus said, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. When you don't know what to do, you can just start praying, and the Holy Spirit can give you direction. He can give you wisdom. He can give you discernment. So sometimes he'll ask us to do some things that, that are, we're just not comfortable with. He'll ask us to forgive somebody, um, to give them a second chance. Uh, he'll, he'll ask you to go out of your way to encourage someone. And this is, this is why reading the Bible is so important. Because the Holy Spirit can use what you read in the Bible to teach you about God's character so that when you hear God's voice, it sounds familiar. Those who are aware of the Spirit's presence and voice, you can go through a day knowing, like you, you sense in your spirit that the Holy Spirit is with you. And you might have a thought like, oh man, reach out to that person. Um, I need to pray for that person right now. I need to make this decision. I need to, I need to not say what I'm about to say. Um, that, that's the Holy Spirit guiding you. When you're in constant awareness of the Spirit of God guiding you, we call that being Spirit-filled. That's a Spirit-filled life. It's not walking by sight, but it's by walking by faith that the Holy Spirit is with you and guiding you. He is your counselor. I love the picture in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, where it says this, Whether you turn right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Does anybody need some of that? I do. The voice of the Holy Spirit, he will comfort you, he will counsel you, and the Holy Spirit will also convict you. John 16, 8, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness, and judgment. In fact, even, even today, there are those of us, we are being convicted by the Spirit of God. There may be something in your life that's not as it should be, and all of a sudden you're feeling this sense of like, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. I have even mentioned what it is, but, but you are convicted. Why? That's the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting you. And there are others of you that, you're being drawn to God right now, and you, you don't even know why. You're just sensing something in your spirit. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand the difference between conviction and shame. Remember, the Holy Spirit convicts in order to restore relationship with the Father. The enemy comes in, and he brings shame. Don't get those two things confused, because shame does what? It pushes you away. If you have a child that does something that they shouldn't do and they feel shame for that, you'll have a hard time finding them for a little while, right? Because they're, they're hiding. And that's what the enemy tries to do. That's not conviction. That's shame. And that has no place. Um, you, you, have, you have victory over that, but the enemy tries to get in there. He tries to bring shame so that he wants to separate you from the Father. The Holy Spirit does the opposite. It brings you conviction because he knows there is something between you and God that is getting in the way of that relationship being right. And so he convicts in order to restore relationship now maybe you're not even a church person you're not a bible guy but you're just drawn to god that is the holy spirit convicting you of your need for god and there are those here today that are under that conviction and you're being drawn to god you don't even know why that's because the holy spirit is here but you have a choice 
Okay? You, you, you can surrender to him or you can fight him off. But let me just warn you, don't, don't fight him for long because your heart, you don't want it to grow hard to the gentle voice and the love and the wooing of the Spirit of God that would draw you to himself. God the Father loves you so much. Listen to this. God the Father loves you so much that he sent God the Son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, died and rose again so you could know him, be empowered by him through his Holy Spirit to live a life that would honor and please and glorify God. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of wisdom. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual fruit. Whenever the world is going crazy, you can still have fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you look at today, you look at the Christians around the world, and, and what you so often see are, are believers in Jesus, but people who look no different than the rest of the world. I'm preaching to myself here today. We're, we're still in bondage to the same sins as everyone else. You see Christians whose prayer lives are basically flat. You see people who are afraid and struggling. Uh, they're gripped by fear and worry and anxiety. I mean, we believe in Jesus, yet our lives have no real power. Why is that? Because so many of us today are living a holy, spiritless life. And God wants his children to live a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, and spirit-equipped life of victory to please God the Father and to further his kingdom. Here's the takeaway. Some of us are living a life that is so busy. Like we are, we are so anxious. We're so efficient that we've unknowingly scheduled a holy, spiritless life. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by God's Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Is that who we are? Here's my challenge. Every morning this week, um, or even when you just start to feel anxious or worried, or you need comfort, or you need guidance, I want you to pray this. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, come and fill my mind. Come and fill my thoughts. Fill my mind with life and peace. And this isn't, this isn't some magical incantation. This is, for a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does, to do what He wants to do. And you can use this as, as, as training wheels and just kind of gradually use your own words, um, use your own language. And I've actually, I've printed off, I've printed this on a card. Um, so when you leave today, make sure you grab one of these. And you can, you know, tape it to your mirror. You can put it in your, 
You can put it in your wallet. You can, uh, students, you can put this in your locker, tape it to your locker. But use it however you see fit. Put it somewhere that it'll be easy to see. And let's just practice, let's practice this noticing of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Does that sound good? Let's see, let's just see what happens. Let's just try. What do we have to lose? <laughs> let's just try. Let's see what happens when we, when we are intentional about inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives, and let's just see if it changes anything. I, I know that it will, if we truly do it. God is faithful to his promises. So that's my challenge. That's the takeaway. Make sure everybody grabs one of these before you leave today. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask uh, that your Holy Spirit would do a work that goes beyond any words of explanation that I had. That your Holy Spirit would be present. He is present. And, and we acknowledge him, and we ask him to do a work in our hearts that only he can do it.